0: MSW Media. Spy Talk, a podcast at the intersection of intelligence, foreign policy, national security, and military operations.
1: Hi there, I'm Jeff Stein, and this is Spy Talk. Oh yeah, there are secret agent men leading lives of danger. If there's a rock hit about CIA women leading lives of danger, I don't know what it is, even after consulting a list of 42. That's 42 spy-related pop tunes. My guest today, Laura Thomas, would prefer that that hit list look a little bit different by now, decades after women have risen to leadership roles at the CIA. A former agency case officer and chief of base herself who led sensitive CIA programs at headquarters and abroad in multiple international assignments. Thomas served for over 15 years in various national security and leadership roles across the intelligence community, including the White House National Security Council, the State Department, DOD, and, of course, with friendly foreign spy services. What caught my eye recently, though, was a cautionary piece Laura wrote on her Substack page called Espionage is a Man's World, Sex, Lies, and the CIA. Laura Thomas, welcome to Spy Talk. It's such a pleasure to have you here. You recently wrote a piece on your Substack page called Espionage is a Man's World. Clearly a double entendre there, a little bit of irony, because... You enumerated the many pitfalls for women at the CIA, but you also encouraged women to join CIA. So unravel the contradictions for us there, please.
0: Well, I mean, espionage is truly still a man's world because most assets or spies, people that one would recruit, uh, are still men because men hold most of the positions of power, uh, especially in foreign adversary uh, or adversarial countries. but I think as a, as a female, you know what, we grew up in a man's world for the most part. And so we learn how to navigate it in ways that I think are quite unique uh, many times to women. And I think it generally sets us up to be uh, quite good at learning the traits of, of being a successful case officer.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and to make it clear for people who don't quite understand the espionage game, we're looking for people who have information. That's that's what we're looking for. We want to recruit foreigners who have access to information, not just foreigners. Right. Uh, and there's a lot of walk-ins. There's a lot of volunteers that just show up at American embassies or drop a note to the CIA saying, I have information. Often it's false. They want to make a little money off CIA or, or whatever, or infiltrate CIA. So the main job of a CIA officer in recruiting people overseas is to find somebody with information, access to defense secrets, military secrets, diplomatic secrets, somebody close to, say, the certain guy in the Kremlin. And uh, th- these are, for the most part, men.
0: That's right. Yeah. And uh, not only should they have access, they should have the traits that would make them good agents. Uh, We don't necessarily want to recruit just anyone who has secrets. We want to recruit someone with secrets who has the capacity um, to engage in a secret relationship and do so successfully without being discovered.
1: Mm hmm. Now, you write that misogynist men at CIA argue that women can't operate in places like the Middle East, where women can't leave the home without a male relative or family member accompanying them. But you write, for men from a culture where it is taboo to meet with a female alone outside of family members, it is a thrilling twist on traditional power dynamics to meet with a woman who speaks with the power of the U.S. government behind her. As well as cool headed self-confidence, can you explain that a little bit more how that dynamic is at work?
0: Yeah, I think it ultimately comes down to human nature and what what are the motivations that that we have you know we have generally we have surface level beliefs we want to do good things for our country, whether that's you know me for example in the United States or a foreigner wants to see some change in their country to to affect things in a way that they believe will be better for themselves or their family. And then there's usually beyond the surface level uh, motivation, there's going to be a deeper personal motivation. That goes for a case officer, but it also goes for the asset or the person we're recruiting. And that usually can be that, well, it's thrilling. You're engaged in an illicit, secret relationship that you would not otherwise be able to entertain. So that there is you know, there's an attraction to to being involved in, in something like that.
1: Is it the usual case that men in such societies, let's say Cairo, or Iran, they expect to have sex with you when they're when their meeting is out on their mind?
0: Uh, I don't think it's at the forefront of their mind. Uh, no, uh, generally, I've, I've that's not been my experience. What they want is they want. They're just curious. What is it like to meet with a U.S. government official? Perhaps this is a way that I can um, achieve my agenda, and you know, be able to engage with someone that I wouldn't normally be able to engage with.
1: And to be clear, we're not talking about meeting peasants in a wadi. We're talking about meeting senior officials or someone embedded in the uh, technology sector of a foreign government. Do these, are these men, do they tend to be a little bit or more westernized, for lack of a better word?
0: Well, I would say, you know, CIA doesn't limit itself to the types of assets that it recruits. You know, even if someone is not necessarily in a senior government position, if they have information of extreme value to the United States and they meet the other requirements that you would have of an asset, then, you know, they would be considered a proper target. Um, but you know, generally are are a, a lot of assets well educated. Yes. Many who serve in foreign governments and senior positions, they've probably studied uh, you know, at least in their own country, sometimes in the West as well. Um, but you know, just because you've studied in, in one place doesn't mean you completely pick up the cultural traits of that location. I mean, think about so many Americans study abroad. That doesn't mean that we automatically adapt a cultural identity of the place that we've been, though what it does give us and what it would give an asset is you know, a little bit more open-mindedness, at least to understand the way different parts of the world work, uh, how to some degree people think, and uh, it can create you know, a, a level of empathy or at least um, baseline understanding that's very helpful in any conversation. Hmm.
1: And you know, uh perhaps you could talk about how this is a little bit of espionage uh, inside baseball, but you want to meet people you through socializing at uh events at say an embassy or or in a hotel or a conference uh might be going on. Uh just being a woman attract um uh, special attention in those situations talking to say um, a diplomat from, well, let's go back to Egypt again, or Iran. Um, does that immediately raise eyebrows that you are talking to someone like that?
0: Well, I think as any woman in any career, uh, sometimes just by virtue of being in the room, uh, you, you can raise eyebrows. So, you know, I don't, I don't think that that's necessarily strange. And, we women generally, we, we learn to, to deal with that. Um, you know, I, I, I think it, it can be to a female case officer's advantage many times, um, but you know, there are certainly disadvantages too, because uh, if, if certain people are seen as talking with us, then maybe it raises the eyebrows of, of their colleagues. So, you know, one of the aspects of uh, being a case officer that remains quite important is just a level of discretion. Knowing when to engage somebody versus when to hold back.
1: Hmm. Absolutely. And we should make clear that not all your targets, potential recruits, are, are men. There are women in certainly in 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 uh, uh, relevant positions uh, in in uh, target countries in Iran and and uh, Russia and and China and so on. That actually being a female might actually be an advantage.
0: Sure. Yeah. I would I would say the, you know a much smaller number, but certainly they exist too.
1: And yet, you write in your piece that um, the CIA should uh, find a way to uh, train women, in particular, in certain kinds of situations they're going to counter abroad. And I was kind of surprised in your piece that this wasn't already done. That there wasn't kind of a not a separate track, but kind of some sort of block of instruction, formal or informal, where Women teaching at the farm, the CIA's training facilities, uh, who are veteran operatives in the field, uh, aren't able to pass or there's not a situation set up, a structure set up for veteran case officers like yourself to to hand down the wisdom you've learned in the field working as a as a woman.
0: Yeah, and and in the article I write that I do think that we or they at CIA should formalize. Some training around that, Um, but the the challenge is is, you know, women are quite fearful of of a a lot of formality surrounding this issue because the concern is is that if if people dig too deeply and and understand that these are you know situations that that women case officers face that perhaps you know well intentioned but there there's potential that opportunities could be taken away from women and um, I think that would be you know, an even worse scenario on the whole when you think about CIA and its objectives.
1: Could you explain that a little bit more, how opportunities would be taken away from women by, did you mean by a special kind of attention to their particular uh, needs or skills that would be needed uh, abroad?
0: Sure. I mean, if, 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 you know, if you were sitting in a, a CIA station abroad and you had a roster of different case officers that you could send to approach a specific target, and you had, you know, a, a fantastic female officer, but you thought that, oh, you know, she's probably, uh, there's probably going to be made, you know, sexual advances made. To her, I don't know how she's going to handle it, um, but I'm too afraid to ask her about that. I don't want to talk about it because maybe then I would seem, especially if I were a man, I would seem sexist. So just to make things less complicated and easier, you default to choosing a male officer. Um, and you know, in some cases, you would choose a male officer, uh, but I think that we have to be very careful when we make these decisions and, and make sure that we're being extremely thoughtful about it. Um, and the fear is, is that You know, people sometimes will just choose the easy course rather than the one that's more thoughtful and appropriate.
1: I thought one of the more interesting things that you said in the piece was that, uh, as you just mentioned in passing, that uh, liberal-minded men, for lack of a better word, fear counseling women on their particular issues in the field because they might be seen as sexist.
0: Yeah, and I'm not arguing that I think liberal-minded men need to counsel women in the field. I think women do a pretty good job themselves with, <laughs> with knowing how to handle these situations and, and talking to each other. Uh, my point in the article is, as you said, there's not a formal mechanism by which to do so. It, it's all informal at this point. And, you know, there are women who are going to slip through the cracks in an informal system like that. And, and there should be some sort of at least discussion and training that touches upon these very real and tangible uh, situations that uh, I would argue that almost any female officer overseas is going to face.
1: Hmm. Absolutely. I, I told you when we had an exchange uh, before this uh, before this recording that I have a friend who was a CIA operations officer in a Latin American country and uh, she was under diplomatic cover. And her problems weren't uh, just with the locals. When she would go out at night for a meeting, uh, fellow embassy employees who did not know that she was undercover thought she was out catting around. You know, this would not be an, uh, a suspicion would be leveled at a man, I think at all, might uh, might raise some titters. Uh, but she going out at night to meet agents uh she had to go into rumor control and deal with that in the embassy. You ever have a situation like that yourself?
0: No, I mean I think fortunately, per- perhaps uh, at least uh, the people I was around. You know, times have changed a bit. No one ever suspected, at least me personally, of that, and nor did I. Nor did I see it. Um, but I mean, if getting back to, are our, our women held uh, many times to different standards than men? Uh, Yeah, of course. And I think this is not just a a CIA challenge, it's a societal one. Um, You know, sometimes we have to work twice as hard uh, just to be seen, you know, half as good.
1: We have to take a quick break. We'll be back in a sec. You know, this just appalls me, frankly. Uh, I mean, I've been... You know, as you know, I was a former case officer myself. I've been writing about intelligence <laughs> for 40 years. And this has been a constant, the problem, the challenges of women at CIA. And I just find it kind of tiring, I guess is the word, you know, to be talking about these issues about women and intelligence, women at CIA in, in 2023. I mean, are we making any progress?
0: Yeah, we, why are we, we are. Why are we still <laughs> talking about this? Yeah, well, look, I I, I I agree. Why are we still talking about this? Um, but the, I guess my point is, is this is this is all across I- any institution, you know, government, private sector. Um, so that you know, that's a much larger question. Uh, to your question about has there been progress specifically at CIA? Um, you know, when I started, it. it I've definitely seen a shift. Uh, There are many women case officers there who flourish and are doing a fantastic job and have achieved, you know, um, excellent positions of authority and have had, you know, stellar impact. And um, we've had a woman
1: CIA director.
0: Yeah. uh, Yeah. I mean, uh, to to the point. Um, But, you know, structurally, are there still challenges that exist? Absolutely.
1: And there are sev- several women in, in senior management, management positions at CIA now You exactly. think this problem would be done with. Um, you know, many years ago, I, wrote a, uh, I did a feature. I was working at NPR at the time. This is a long time ago. And I did a, a, a feature about women becoming bartenders. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. it'd be hard to find a bar where there wasn't a woman behind it at this point. Right. Uh, and Again, that was, you know, some 30 years ago, showing my age there. It just seems with all the, you know, having had a woman run the CIA, having all these women in top management positions, that this situation in the intelligence agency, I'm not talking about working for a towing, you know, truck company. We're not talking about working for a construction company. Uh, traditionally, hurly-burly, rough uh, industries. Uh, we're talking about the elite, the elite intelligence service of the United States, and yet we're still talking about this. I'm not going to go on about this much longer, but let's tie this up. Why are we still talking about it now?
0: I, I mean, the, uh, an intelligence organization reflects the 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 country and the society that it comes from, and, and I, I my overarching point would be that we, you know, we still have. These challenges at a larger scale in the United States. Now, um, having served abroad and you know met many different people from from all different you know cultural backgrounds, religious backgrounds, political persuasions, you know I think that we get a lot right in the United States too, and I, I think we, we we can't forget that either. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that that we need to stop and oh just say oh everything's perfect? No, absolutely not. We still need to be um, working to to change and improve things and hold people who uh, don't live up to the values that we claim accountable.
1: For sure. I mean, I hope a year from now when I call you up, I'm not going to asking you the same questions.
0: Yeah, I hope not. <laughs> now
1: you level. A more profound criticism at CIA it has been leveled at CIA for many, many years now that it is growing increasingly risk averse. Let's talk about that.
0: Yeah, in my essay, you know, I refer to what I think is growing risk aversion. And I think that that reflects uh, bureaucratic malaise. And I think in any bureaucracy, if that goes unchecked, what ultimately ends up happening is uh, people want to brief, you know, that they did something, even if it's a marginal gain that doesn't really move the needle uh, insofar as national security, or it's not some, you know, big win, it can still look good. So you don't have to do the same level of, of work or the same level of achievement in order to get uh, career accolades or promotion. And, you know, I think that happens in a lot of places. I definitely Uh, think it has happened at CIA and and needs to be addressed. And I think the best way to address it is through the the promotion system that's there currently, which officers are promoted, which officers uh, receive assignments that are uh, very important overseas and at headquarters.
1: You talk about mediocrities rising in the bureaucracy. I've heard that from many people. Why does that happen in our most elite intelligence
0: agency? Uh, because at the end of the day, uh, it's humans who work at the intelligence agency and human nature is a very strong force.
1: How and do, we you have change to do our that?
0: best. We have to do our best to set up, um, empower people who can call it out and make hard decisions. We have to be careful not to put too much structure and process in place. And I think this is always a push and pull uh, with any you know, government or even big company institution when you think about institution building. Um, you don't want to overprescribe and account for the lowest common denominator of person who's going to make a mistake because then you hold back everyone. But at the same time, you want to uh, create some you know, processes and procedures to try and standardize and, and promote um, excellence over mediocrity. And the best way to do that is to put people or empower people who have good judgment, are very thoughtful, to make hard decisions. Hmm.
1: That's a great talking point for conventions and lectures and so on, and I don't mean to dismiss it, but it's full of generalities. Can you be more mm-hmm. specific about, you know, we have limitations on how much you can talk about uh, or in the way you talk about it. Can you, t- can you give us an example of of someone who was really a stellar operator in the field and did well in a management tour who who just wasn't promoted because of whatever this mediocrity bypass them?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I'm I'm certainly not going to be able to give you specific examples. Um, But do I I know of case officers who I thought were just phenomenal? Uh, They were some of the best recruiters and not just the best recruiters. They were some of the best uh, thinkers and had the ability to manage people and influence organizations. But, you know, almost it was as if their star burned a bit too bright. And um, it was management seen as a was,
1: management was threatened,
0: yeah that, I mean that 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 happens that, that happens in a lot of places it happens at CIA too
1: yeah, but it makes me wonder whether uh, let's say the China target, which is extremely difficult as we know, CIA has suffered reportedly suffered some really serious grievous setbacks in, in China. Um, would you say that CIA management is worried more about an operation being disrupted by the Chinese security services or finding out that it might leak into the papers?
0: Uh, Look, I I, I think to to comment generally, CIA management is concerned that there will be uh, a, uh, one, another attack on American soil that they are not, they do not know about or they do not disrupt, um, or that there is a longer term threat such as China, such as, you know, Russia, that um, they just didn't have the beat on. At the same time, you know, going back to bureaucratic malaise, um, it's easy to fall into the trap of, of briefing uh, incremental progress as these great wins. And I think that, that that's one of the, the challenges that the agency faces these days.
1: I think that we saw this play out in Afghanistan, and I know that's a real sore spot for you. You've written about that, as I have, about the lack of accountability for the Afghan disaster, which was not, which just played out in the chaotic uh, departure from Kabul. that had been playing out for years and years Uh uh, the military has taken a lot of blame for that. The generals who kept talking about progress in Afghanistan when they when they knew or should have known it, they weren't making progress. CIA has some responsibility in that?
0: You know, I, I didn't work or was not working on that topic at the time that the actual withdrawal was happening. Uh, I'd already left at that point. Uh, you know what what i can say is i think that there were a lot of people on the ground who were doing everything in their power to help the right people get out of that country and i was extremely impressed and awed by some of the efforts that that people inside the Kabul airport compound the links that they were going to to get people on those flights
1: bill burns the current cia director who's getting a lot of high marks for his performance today i must say i was i i wrote kind of a a gushing piece about him when he was first nominated because i had read his memoir and what i was struck by in his memoir was that he said he was wrong on iraq and he, he should have spoken up more forcefully about the the disaster that that was likely to become and did become you see any more of that institutionally around washington i'm sure you stay in touch with some old pals this is an issue that's has come up again. We're now in the midst of the second anniversary of the the Kabul disaster. Mm-hmm. Do you sense that the CIA, among other agencies, will will start having looked at the detritus of the past twenty years? I mean, a mess. We've just left a, a huge mess in the Middle East, which uh, generations will be paying for uh americans and uh the locals the iraqis and the afghans etc will be paying for for decades um do you see any sense have you sensed any uh, mood that you know we really some sort of you know self-stock taking that we've really got to do a better job of speaking truth to power
0: i mean when i was there I- I think there were a lot of deep and hard conversations about accountability and how to do things differently. But I do think that we have to remember CIA is not a policy arm. Uh, CIA doesn't carry out, they don't determine policy. Uh, They try to inform policymakers. Um, Ultimately, when you look at a lot of these decisions you're talking about, they they are policy decisions. Um, And, you know, we just look at the political environment, uh, especially that we're in now, uh, one that we could be you know that could be de- deteriorating e- even further, uh, depending on you know the results of the next election and and how that how that goes. So um, as a nation, though, do I think we need to to have a bit more self- introspection and and be willing to admit our faults? Yes, admitting that you made a mistake is not the same as succumbing to it. Um, and we've mm-hmm. got to do better.
1: That's for sure. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about this recent leak of a an intelligence assessment. It was very pessimistic about Ukrainian success against the Russians. Why was that in the paper? I mean, the reporter, John Hudson, who got it, is a very, very good intelligence reporter. But what, what do you make of that showing up on the front page of The Washington Post?
0: Yeah, I, I'm not tracking that. So I can't. Really comment.
1: But it seems to be the age-old way of waging policy battles in Washington, which is if you're not getting your way or your analysis isn't being heard, you give it to the Washington Post or the New York Times or CNN or whoever.
0: Yeah, and if that did happen, I, I think that's uh, extremely unfortunate, and not becoming of the, the profession of an intelligence officer or agency.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's uh it, I don't think as a practice is ever going to end that's the way it goes in Washington. Let's get back just uh circle up now with women at the CIA. You, you you what would you say to a woman who wants to join CIA offhand uh in terms of joining operations or joining analysis what uh, it's often said that women are better intelligence analysts than men are. Do you agree with that by the way?
0: Uh, look, I, I know so many fantastic male <laughs> case officers and analysts, so I don't want to make a general comparison like that. D- do I think that women have an advantage as case officers just because the way we have to, we, I mean, we're we're essentially the smaller um, gender in, in the sense of, you know, physical power. We always have to be watching our backs anywhere we go. We're walking around at night in a city. We, we are looking over our shoulder. We do have to look and, and start to assess threats that potentially could be, you know, evolving in front of us in ways that men don't always have to do. So I think we do have an advantage as a case officer for 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 some unfortunate reasons. Um, but for any women women uh, that are out there that are interested in CIA, absolutely, I think you should look at it as a career. Um, it can be incredibly fulfilling. Um, you get to see what's going on behind the headlines. You get to do a job that one, you're, you're, you're doing something in support, uh, of your country and and the people in your country. But it's also from a personal standpoint, it's incredibly fulfilling. You're Mm -hmm. essentially going out and, and recruiting spies. Uh, they're, you know, the movies get a lot wrong, but they get some things right. Uh, there's fun involved in the job and, um, for any young woman out there, you know, organizations like the CIA or any other intelligence uh, arms within the U.S. government, they really need young women to step up and, and be the next generation of officers that, that um, you know recruit the best sources that hopefully give us the information we need to prevent wars um, or to at least win them really quickly when they start.
1: There's not many jobs where you potentially can affect the course of human events.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that.
1: I mean, you get a right piece of information or thwart uh, an adversarial operation, you can change the course of U.S. foreign policy, the course of war and peace. Not many jobs hold that opportunity.
0: No, they don't. But the, the challenge therein lies that, you know, you're still not a policymaker. So while you can be very close and see how policy is being made, you can provide the information and perhaps you have your own personal viewpoint of what decisions should be made. It's not yours to make. So it is a struggle to have to see, um, you know, sometimes the policy decisions certainly do not work out in the way that that you think that they should. Um, and that can be a struggle. So you have mm-hmm. to be able to make peace with that as well.
1: Well, that's true in any corporate environment, I would say. Yes. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, like changing a global brand from Twitter to X.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Yep.
1: Anyway, Laura Thomas, it's it's so generous of you to spend this time with us, and really appreciate. It. I urge everyone listening to read your Substack page, uh, Action Line. It's uh, it's terrific and really informative. You really want to know what an informed insider knows about the intelligence world and and working in intelligence I I urge you to read Laura's uh, Substack page so until the next time thanks a lot
0: All right, thank you so much Jeff
1: and that's it for another week's Spy Talk be sure to check out our complete archive at the MSW network or on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts and do please leave us a comment good or bad We love hearing from listeners. And if you haven't already, do check out the Spy Talk news site on Substack, where our deeply experienced contributing writers offer a steady diet of scoops and original analysis. Just Google Spy Talk and you'll find your way there. This edition of the Spy Talk podcast was smoothly produced by Kanai and edited by Molly Hawkey for MSW Media. Oh, and by the way, that recording of Secret Agent Man, listeners of a certain age know that's Johnny Rivers, of course. The record came out in 1966, a time when Sean Connery was reigning as James Bond and Cold War spy fillers were just getting traction. A lot of water under the bridge since then. That's it. Thanks for listening. I'm Jeff Stein. This has been Spy Talk. See you around.
0: For more original reporting and insights like this, subscribe to spytalk.co on Substack and follow us on Twitter at talk underscore spy. If you enjoyed our podcast, subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. MSW Media